Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. So much direct and so uh praise the lord can we just lift up our hands wherever we are for those who are able to do that and i believe everyone should be able to do that paul said i wish every man can lift up holy hands everywhere everywhere so you should be able to do that whether you're in the bus or on a cab you know on a, on a bike i know bikes have been banned so uh the likelihood of you raising your hands are even higher no matter where you are right now can you just lift up your hands right now and just worship the lord and just tell him how much you love him worship and exalt his holy name for he is good and his mercies endure forever just tell him how much he means to you how much he means to you as minister Anyola, um leads us in a very short session of worship father we give you praise father we give you praise we give you glory and we give you praise let the living waters flow over my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. In every situation that has troubled my mind, all my cares and burdens unto you I owe. All my cares and burdens unto you I owe. Let the living waters, let the living waters flow from my soul. And let the whole Holy Spirit, come and take control for every situation that has troubled my mind. All my kids and body, on all my cares and burdens, all my cares and burdens, unto you I Jesus, 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 Amen and amen. Father, we give you praise. 
We let the living waters flow over our souls tonight as we get into your word. We ask that your word, your word cleanses us and washes us clean. The word of God says that now we are clean through the word that has been spoken unto us. We ask that tonight as your word comes forth, it comes forth with power, with grace, with precision, with accuracy. And it cleanses every hearer of the word and by extension any other person that will be listening after tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. We give you praise and we give you honor. We ask the abiding presence stays with us through the course of this session and beyond in the name of Jesus. For in Jesus' precious name we prayed and the people of God said aloud, chatted aloud, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, MD, for that very spirited session. All right. By the grace of God, um, we'll continue in our teaching series on the excellent spirit. And if there's anything I'd like to just continue to emphasize as we go along this particular teaching series, it's the fact that I want to, to a very large extent, disabuse our minds when it comes to the word excellent, you know, the word excellence or excellent, whenever it's used, typically whenever that word is used, we just think about aesthetics. We think about things that have a lot of grandeur, that majesty, that royalty. You know, recently the Queen of England passed and, you know, imagine all the protocols that had to be observed for our burial. You know, when we see those things, we say, wow, such an excellent, you know, ceremony funeral. And that's also consistent with what, you know, the Queen of Sheba encountered when she met Solomon. Like, wow, such an excellent king. Bible said she lost her, her spirit. She, she fainted just by encountering the power of his excellence. Do you see? And so sometimes we discount and the discount, what was the word now? And just we do not take or we take for granted the more weightier matters of the word excellence because excellence is a spirit excellence is a spirit there's a spirit called the spirit of excellence and if excellence is a spirit that means its virtues are essentially spiritual its virtues are essentially spiritual yes they have you know socioeconomic coefficients they have physical manifestations and tangibilities but that does not replace the very bane and the weight of what it carries as being spiritual and that's what i really want us to understand because we're going to be learning a lot of things tonight and i ask that your your heart be open i just pray and i encourage you to open your heart to receive what the lord will have us learn tonight because we we have some really really important things to learn Okay, um, I'll start by just reading through the whole book of Daniel chapter four, all right, which is a classic, all right, it's a huge classic, and I'll just read the whole chapter, and then we'll get on with the teaching. Father, we give you praise. Nebuchadnezzar, king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God had brought towards me how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders, his kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So this is like an ode. So this is Nebuchadnezzar almost writing in, in retrospect what happened to him. So he started with almost like the conclusion and then went back in time and began to narrate exactly what he did and how he violated the 
principles of God. That I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, and they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in, all right, before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretations thereof. Thus were the visions of my head in the bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was great and strong, and the height thereof reached unto the heavens, and the side thereof to the ends of the earth, and the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruits thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heavens dwelt in the bows thereof, and all the flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Heal down the tree and cut off the branches, shake off the leaves and scatter its fruit abroad. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let its portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and give it to whomever he wills and sets up over it the basis of man. Wow. Then this, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, therefore, O Belteshazzar, declared the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the Holy Ghost is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished. For an hour and his thoughts troubled him. That's interesting. The king said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. <laughs> but he was troubled, you know. Daniel was troubled for about an hour. Then he snapped out of that trouble and said, Don't be troubled, oh king, okay? Okay, so Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest. This is important too. <laughs> See what Daniel prophesied. He says, Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Okay? The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height thereof reached unto the heavens, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruits thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heavens had their habitation it is thou o king thou art grown and become strong for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heavens and thy dominion to the ends of the earth and whereas the king saw a watch and a holy one come down from heaven and saying heal down the tree and destroy it yet the leaf 
yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come unto my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know, all right, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he wills, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, even after that thou shalt have known that the heaven do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto you, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lightning of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the king of the kingdom of Babylon. So that's a very important thing to notice. That is, there was a protocol for escape. That is, this prophecy came, but there was a protocol for escape if he had done what Daniel had told him to do. So that it was not automatic that what he had seen in the dream was automatically going to come to pass over his life, which is very consistent with the things that we've been learning in the church, that a curse may be pronounced, but you need to create a bed for that curse to alight. If you do not create an infrastructure with your actions, with your thoughts, with your imaginations, and with your own behavior, that curse will continue to fly, waiting for the bed that will be set for it to alight on. Do you see? So it took 12 months. That is, this guy for 12 months was conscious, was conscious, was conscious. And then by the 13th month, the guy just lost consciousness. And he began to do exactly what was going to invite the execution of that negative prophecy. Now, all this came on to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king said, is this not great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and by and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, today, all right, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. That is, the execution could not happen until Nebuchadnezzar participated and contributed his own token. He contributed his own part. If it had taken 15 years, that guy, that prophecy would not have passed for those 15 years. And he never defaulted while he was on this side of the, of the divide. That prophecy and that negative prophecy would still not have been activated. So something is prophetic in the realm of the spirit does not guarantee that it will happen, whether for negative and for positive. So if it's a positive prophecy, there are earthly coefficients that you must begin to engage immediately so that that prophetic word that has been spoken over you can wage war with it and cause them to be trapped upon the face of the earth. In the same vein, if a negative prophecy has been pronounced over your life, you can continue to do in opposition with the terms and the tenets of that negative prophecy. As long as you do not do anything that cooperates with that curse, there is nothing that curse can find as a landing spot in your life. It just will not be able to alight. And so the moment Nebuchadnezzar did the action component, the human component of that negative prophecy, guess what? The thing was activated. Very powerful. It was activated. All right, he says, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men. All right, they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou 
know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he wills. Now, the set hour was the thing fulfilled. Imagine that. It took 12 months. Nothing happened. Even though the prophecy had gone. Remember, Daniel gave him a protocol for escape. Let's read the protocol for escape again. It says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Humble yourself, do you see? And it may be but that it would cause a lengthening of that tranquility, that you may never even experience this unfortunate, prophetic, and negative prediction that I'm making today. God might just extend your tranquility, that you may not even experience the negative cycle of this thing that I'm pronouncing today. But he did not listen. He only remembered it for 12 months. And by the 13th month, he, he violated the protocol for escape. And then he entered all right, into the execution of that negative prophecy. And the moment it happened, the Bible says that same hour. Wow. Hmm. All right, Bible says that same hour. <laughs> the thing was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And it was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised him and I honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. What? This is Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Can you imagine the level of praise, the level of adulation, the level of excitement and worship and adoration he's pushing in God's direction? Can you just imagine the joy? And he's saying these things out of his mouth. He has been humbled. Wow. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, including me. <laughs> all right. The emphasis is mine. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none yes. can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, my reason return unto me and for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and, my, and the brightness return unto me and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, all those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What an ode unto the Lord. What a sound, powerful sound. Who was blessed by that? Bless, just let me see your hand in the, in the chat. <laughs> I was really blessed just reading that. Wow. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Such a blessing. Now, look, look, this is a classic, guys. This is a huge classic. And it's important that we address this because sometimes these are conversations that we fail to have. And because of that, we don't even know how to safeguard ourselves. We don't know how to check ourselves. Bible talks about how that saying that we have received these promises. Let us be careful, all right, to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. He says, perfecting holiness. That means even holiness must be continuously perfected. That is, you must continuously seek to continue to grow and mature in holiness. Perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. He begins to say, perfect. he says, cleansing yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. That means there is a filthiness of the flesh and there is a filthiness of the spirit. One of those 
Hello? Can anyone hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Good, 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 good. Uh, where was I before the power sticking? Now, um, what was I talking about? Yeah, the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. I was talking about how that, you know, one of the tenets of the upper grace doctrines was that there is nothing like the filthiness of the spirit, even when the Bible makes it extremely clear that beyond the filthiness of the flesh, there is also the filthiness of the spirit. And over time, I've been asking God, what does it mean? What is the filthiness of the spirit? What, what kind of filth can exist in our spirit? He, he defined it by saying simply that any sin that a spirit can commit is the filthiness of the spirit. Any sin that a spirit can commit is the, is the filthiness of the spirit, all right? Tonight, I'll be taking it a little slower because this is a study. I want us to really get this. It's important because we're going to be going step by step, all right, unearthing some of these things and applying them into our own personal lives because we need to understand these things. Beyond just coming to church and getting excited by the word of God, we need to understand how we can apply these truths into our lives so that we can be washed. That's the whole essence of receiving God's word. So you can be washed. So that means before Jesus began to speak to his disciples, before he spoke to them, and after he spoke to them, there was a difference. He says, now you are clean. That means before they were not clean. But the moment they heard God's word, then they applied it upon themselves, then they were clean. They had their bodies washed with pure water. Do you see that? And their hearts purged from an evil conscience. That's what happens when you hear God's word. And when you plead the blood, you are washing yourselves. You're washing yourselves. Very important. And so he says, you can commit the iniquities and the errors and the, and the sins and the, the filthiness of the spirit. It is any filth, any iniquity, any error, any sin that a spirit can commit. And it, was, it, refer, it referred me to Lucifer. Lucifer was a spirit. He did not have a physical body, but he committed a certain type of sin. That sin was powerful enough to get him demoted from the heavenly ranks. And Bible talks about how that he, of course, gathered about a third of the angelic host and then fell along with all of them. And so if Lucifer was capable of sinning this type of sin, then it is the ultimate filth in the realm of the spirit. And it's actually the birthing place for every other type of sin because it's the spiritual sin that births every other type of sin of the flesh. I hope you're still with me tonight. Amen and amen. One of the roles of the ministry gifts amongst us is to teach so that you can be perfected in holiness in the fear of God. Teachers must be able to get into the nitty gritty details of how a dysfunction can be avoided. This is one of the dysfunctions that must be avoided. And this is one of the things that the spirit of excellence, the excellent spirit himself will help you read yourself off. That is, he will teach you how to get rid of pride. And it is through the instrument of his teaching ministers, his teaching ministries, his teaching ministers that will come and then begin to teach you God's word. And through that, they are equipping you and they are perfecting you in holiness for the work of the ministry so that you can be edified and grown into the stature of the Lord God Almighty. Praise the name of the Lord. And so it's important that we understand that there is such a thing called filthiness of the spirit, which are errors that a spirit can commit. And because it is sourced from the spirit, it is the best place for all other types of sins. 
It takes more than, than just apologizing when you are wrong to be rid of pride. It's not just a matter of, oh, this guy does not know how to say sorry. Yeah, that's at the level. Yes, that's at the level. I'm still going to share some of the more, should I say, pedestrian signs or symptoms of pride, which I was going to share with you. But uh, th there are some five solid uh, components that we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, which is like a classic on, on pride, the way pride literally evolves, the way it starts, the way it evolves, then the, the way it becomes a monster, then chops off the head of its host. The way pride literally evolves like a cancer and it begins to grow so big and wild until it destroys the host. I'm going to show you. It's important that we learn how to deal with it when it's still just a little seed. This is why David was saying, search me, O oh God. Before anything begins to grow and take so much root in my heart, Lord, help me weed it away. Because I may not even notice it when it's still just a weed. By the time it has become a huge oak tree, it's already too difficult for me. It's already too big. I may not be able to deal with it at that point. I may already become a victim of its, of its challenge. What do I do, Lord, at that state when it's still a seed, when it's still just a little herb, when it's still just a little weed? Lord, help me take it away. Search me, oh God, because if I continue to search from now till next year, I may never see it. It's so small. It's so inconsequential right now that I may not even notice it. Lord, search me, search me, search me. Because we all must learn how to deal with this thing. Nobody is exempt. Nobody. Nobody is exempt. And this is why, listen to this, this is why pride is extremely noticeable in the realm of the spirit. Can you imagine that of all the billions and billions of angels that I believe exist, all right, and are operationally functional in heaven, the moment Lucifer abode pride inside of him, God noticed, the institution of God noticed, the entire kingdom of God was alerted, something is wrong in this entire system, somebody is having something that is contravening the protocol of the heavens, somebody has to be ejected right now from the heavens somebody has to leave and God located him because listen the spirit is extremely sensitive to pride and to humility they are extremely sensitive to it and so it is to your best interest that you do not align yourself with what contravenes the protocol of God's exaltation the way God advances full in this kingdom, there is a system of advancement in God's kingdom. And the way to align with it is with humility. Because he said, listen, God gives more grace. He says, but he resists the proud. He gives more grace to the humble. He says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. He says, in due time, he will lift you. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. You've got to understand that. God gives more grace, but only to the humble. If he notices pride in you, and he will. This is why David had to hire God. Because he says, listen, this is something I have to outsource. If I am the one overseeing my pride my, my, my pride scrutiny, I'm the one looking at myself and checking, am I proud, am I not proud, I will miss it. He says, I have to outsource it to the one who has a specific stethoscope or telescope, however you want to call it, that is able to see the granular details of my intentions and motives and begin to enter into the surgical crevices and begin to make that work happen. Because the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to divide the son of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. It's a discerner of thoughts. You see that? It's a discerner of thoughts. That is even when my heart is not able to discern. The word of God is able to discern it. So that when the word of God is coming, the word of God can tell me when I got it wrong, when I didn't do right, when I have to apologize, when pride begins to raise its ugly head. The word of God will say, mm -mm 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 -mm. it's discerning thoughts. 
You know, you know, in movies where you see something that detects some some sort of nuclear weapon and all of that, and then the closer it gets to that which it's designed to detect, the the, the louder it becomes. Like uh, I'm getting so close right now. This thing is around here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing is not more than two meters away from here. This thing is here, right? In fact, I'm on top of this thing. That's what the word of God does. It comes so close, and then it detects that pride, and then it destroys it, and it washes you. So the, the washing we need is not having wash. It's a washing. It's constant washing because pride can raise it only at any time. It's a washing. Search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. So Daniel 4. All right? Let me just read this. It's incredible how quickly the realm of the spirit responds to pride. I appreciate that God's system of advancement is designed to frustrate a proud person. One of the quickest ways to attract the devil is to be proud. <laughs> you see that? Because Bible talks about how that submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, resist the devil. That means if you are not submitted to God in humility and you are proud, you are not resisting the devil, you are inviting the devil. That means the most powerful way to resist the devil is to be humble. And the most amazing way to attract the devil without any form of invitation directly to him is to be proud. The devil is already your neighbor. The devil is already your ally. The devil is already your partner in crime. The devil is already close, so close to you, you can feel him just by being proud. You are not resisting the devil, you are inviting the devil. It's important. It takes more than just apologizing to get rid of pride. All right. It takes much more. So God says to resist the devil with humility. There is a limit to the temptation a humble person can be tempted with. Ah, ego, pride, arrogance is at the heart of every foolish attempt to prove oneself. And you will see that I may not be able to go into all of that, but it's provable by the temptation of Jesus Christ. Ego, he was he was trying to incite Jesus to believe that he is something and try to prove it, which is all pride, really. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are, if you are, if you are. He always started with that phrase, just to almost pick, sort of incite something in Jesus that wants to prove himself. A humble person will not fall for that because I don't need to prove anything. Uh, oh yeah, whatever you say is okay. I, I'm not trying to prove anything. The moment you lose that desire to prove anything, you see, then the devil has nothing to, to pull you out of your comfort zone, out of your safety zone under God's covering. He has nothing to pull you out into. He has nothing to pull you, nothing to pull you with, nothing. All right? Because you're staying confidently under the shadow of the Almighty. Nothing to pull you out with, nothing. Because there's nothing to prove. You're just comfortable in the presence of God. All right, let's, let's, let's begin to excavate now. All right? So this particular is a classic passage of the dangers of pride and of course the should i say etymology how it how it moves how it was how how it how it evolves right how it morphs how it develops all right yeah i think a better word would be pathology right how it, how it's created and how it develops over time okay the pathology of pride pride let me define this you can write this down okay Pride is the overestimation of your worth, contribution, and importance relative to God and man. That's the meaning of pride. Pride is the overestimation of your worth, your contribution, and your importance relative to God and to man. I'll say that again. Pride is the overestimation of your worth your contribution, and your importance relative to God and to man. 
Listen to this. God will increase you on the outside at an alarming rate if you will decrease on the inside for him to increase. I'll say that again. God will increase you on the outside in an unprecedented manner if you will decrease on the inside for him to increase. But the moment you begin to increase on the inside, the outside begins to decrease. Listen, the reason why people get into pride is because of results. It's because of what they can see. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar began to say those things. He first looked around the city. He went and looked around Babylon. He looked at the fruits of his labor. He looked at the works of his hand. He looked at the array of the army. He looked at the ladies. He looked at his field. He looked at this company. He looked at the growth. He looked at the stats. He looked at the numbers. He looked at the profit margins. He looked at the revenue. He looked at everybody he had mentored. He looked at everybody he had made king. He looked at everybody he had become president under him he looked at everybody he had made everybody he had loaned money he looked at everything he looked at it and boy he began to heal himself this type of pride doesn't just happen inside no 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 there, there is a pathology it starts on the inside which is where david said lord help me so i can kill it at that level but once it gets and metastasizes into this cancerous beast there is no way to not escape out of your mouth it will you can't <laughs> <laughs> you will say it out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will burst forth. Job said, My tummy is like is like bottles that have no vent. He said, Now I will open my mouth and I will just peel. You see, there is a way something will be happening inside your heart. You cannot keep quiet. You will speak. The mouth is the vent of the spirit. It's a filthiness of the spirit. The moment pride builds up and continues to build up on the inside, there is no way it will not spill out through your mouth gate. So pride is the overestimation of your worth, contribution and importance relative to God. And I talked about how that God will continue to increase you on the outside in an unprecedented manner if you will decrease on the inside for him to continue to increase. But the moment you begin to increase on the inside, the outside begins to decrease. Your God-given result on the external will begin to dwindle in an inversely proportional relationship with your internal atmosphere. So this is what happens. God comes to you. He meets humility. That is, you already reduced yourself. He would then increase you. The more he increases you, the more he expects you to continue to reduce yourself. The more he increases you, the more... The moment you begin to try to increase yourself, then it, it starts to reduce you. Then it begins to reduce you. Then it begins to resist you. Do you see? That's the protocol. So your external results are designed to be inversely proportional to your internal atmosphere. So the moment God meets humility, he would increase you. Once he sees humility, he will say, increase it, increase it, increase it. He will promote you. The moment he meets pride, he will reduce you. Now, you may be seeing results on the outside, which may not be God-centered. We may not be God produced. The devil can increase you at an alarming rate if you don't know. Remember, the devil told Jesus, I will give you all these things. So listen, that somebody has results is not proof. It's not proof that the person is on the path of righteousness. The devil can give you so much that eyes can see. But when you talk about the results that God himself brings your way, he cannot continue to bless you at the rate he used to bless you when you, are, when you were humble. Now that you're proud, he can't. God's blessings. But typically, because people want to maintain a certain level of manifestation on the outside, they now switch lanes. Rather than become humble, then they will now go and start trading with the devil. Father of proud people. The one who began this iniquity called pride in the first place. That's the filthiness of the spirit. The most filthy sin of the spirit is pride. And it's the producer and the birthplace of for all other types 
of sin because the devil started his own infrastructure. He started it. And what started it was pride. Do you see? So the moment you get into pride and you, you want to continue to have the kind of results you used to have when God was helping you, and rather than just humble yourself so that God can lift you back, you say, no, I want to continue to stay proud and have the result that only humility could guarantee. So you have to literally switch lanes to the lane of the enemy because he's the only one that will give you results even when you're proud because that's the only way he will give you results because you attracted him in your pride. Do you understand? Only that this pride is designed to just precede destruction, right? So pride always goes before because the moment you are proud, God resists you. It's not like he will destroy you. He will just resist you. He will just not have anything to do with you. Do you understand? He will just avoid you. Just, he would avoid you. And once he begins to avoid you, there is no increase that you expect that can be credited to God anymore. Any increase you are seeing in your life is the devil that is bringing it your way. And it is so that he can continue to pamper you until the day of destruction. I hope you are learning. Praise God. Typically, those with considerable amount of results to show for their excellence are likelier to be tempted with the sin of pride than someone who isn't generating much result. Because look at Solomon. You see, you, you are not likely going to get into this grade of pride. You see, there's pride in almost everybody, quite honestly. But the point is, you can't manifest it at this level until you have results to show for it. Because a, a, a person that is not, that doesn't have much, a poor person, that doesn't have much results, even if he's proud, there's nothing to use to show it. There's nothing that manifests it. He's still in his heart. <laughs> Do you understand? But there's a level of pride that when you begin to have things to prove and justify your excellence, there is a way you begin to speak. There's a way it begins to affect your demon. There's a way you begin to respond to those that are under you. There's a way you begin to address everybody. There's a way you begin to just dismiss and diminish everybody around you just because there is a result. And even if everybody is taken from you, it will not finish. There is a way you speak boldly, almost as though if the devil wants to try, if God himself wants to try and continues to take from the wealth that you have gathered over the years, nothing happened to it. We have people in his history. People who said some things they shouldn't have said, ill-advised words, produced from the belly of pride, and the thing destroyed them. The owner of Titanic, he, he was interviewed. You know, journalists can put you in trouble. And they'll ask you, ah, what about this vessel? This is the best vessel that has ever been created by any mortal man. He said, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, not even God can sink it. The moment he said that, he attracted the spirit of destruction. Because there is no, you see, he has just announced, I am about to be destroyed. Because Bible says, pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. So whenever you see a man that is about to be destroyed, pride is his announcer. Pride is his herald. The moment you begin to see a man that begins to say things like that, so outlandishly, so, so verbosely, so confidently, that is a man that is announced, I'm about to be destroyed, I'm about to be led to the sheep. All right, I'm about to be led as a sheep to the slaughter. So let me just be saying my final verse now. We all know what happened to Titanic. Nothing can happen. Evil go. Hey, be careful of the things you say. There was a man who won an election, or he had literally, he said, evil God cannot make him, cannot stop him from becoming, from becoming, I think it was governor. Do, do you know what happened? He died the day it was going to be announced. He died. So, yes, he won the election, but he's not there to win the election. <laughs> he's not, he's dead. He died just before the announcement. Be careful once you begin to exalt yourself against the knowledge of God. Be very careful. Pride is deadly. It is contradictory to the spirit of excellence. 
So we have the spirit of excellence. We're not just talking about ambience and aesthetics. Oh, such an excellent church. Hey, such an excellent man. See style. See see shoe. Those things are good, but get the solid spirit of excellence and not just the aesthetics. Don't go and get the outer court dimension of excellence and you forget about the holiest of all. In the holiest of all, when God is explaining excellence to you, it will not look like anything you saw on the outside. It will not look like anything. And this is why we are, we are focusing on this dimension. Because when we go to the outer court of excellence, you see all the arrangements, you see the bearers, you see the, the way you, you, you ascend onto the throne of Solomon. But inside Solomon's heart, full of fields, 700 wives, 300 concubines, pride, vanity. That is the man that you see and say, that's such an excellent man. Be careful the things you call excellent. Be very careful. The man you call excellence, the church you call excellence, the book you call excellence, the ministry you call excellence, the house you call excellence, because it's the character, that spirit, that spirit of excellence is the most important virtue there. It's not about the, the outer facade. It's not about what is seen on the outside. And we've got to be very careful. This is why we are focusing on this dimension here. That for 17, 18 weeks, we are just tabernacling around the spirit of it. There is a reason. Because Daniel exemplified the spirit of excellence like no other person in scripture. And this is what his book tells us. This is what his book tells us. Praise the name of the Lord. All right. So you need a considerable amount of results uh, to show for your excellence. And, and that makes you even likelier to be tempted with the sin of pride. You don't want the type of excellence that will lead to pride and a sense of invisibility. But consistent with excellent spirit isn't just the results that excels the heart that excels in humility. Consistent with the spirit of excellence isn't just the results that excel, but the heart that excels in humility. As Christians, we must excel in humility. As tribesmen, we must excel in humility. You must grow up by going down. We must excel in humility. Except the corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit unto itself. Every single person who became a victim of pride was gifted. Be very careful. Every single person who became a victim of pride was gifted. Many times far above their peers, they were just gifted. They were so gifted that it was ridiculous for them not to be proud. It was just ridiculous. And that's why when someone combines giftedness with humility, it's one of the most attractive things you can ever see upon the face of it. When someone is so gifted, yet so humble, there is nothing more attractive in all of human realm. Nothing. I tell you. That's what the Bible says, the humble man. He says, it's only the meek that shall inherit the earth. There is a level of attraction. There is a sound that they will give off throughout the earth because they are gifted, yet they stay humble, meek, and lowly. That is it is sound to the end of the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek. Look at Samson. Look at Lucifer. Ahithophel. Saul. Nebuchadnezzar. Herod. The common denominator, giftedness. These guys were gifted. These guys were powerful. These guys had influence. These guys had platforms, but they were proud. They allowed pride to destroy them. So we all need to be submissive in how we treat our gifts. Understanding that the gift is a tool given to us by the governor. We must never take possession of the gift as owners. This is what compels us to be faithful in service. It's a commitment to use our gifts to the extent 
of fully maximizing our potential, but realizing in the same step that we do not own these gifts. I have noticed a very, a very powerful principle that can change our perspectives and keep us humble for a long time by the help of the Holy Spirit. It is the stewardship versus ownership perspective or, or mindset. The moment you tilt from being a steward to being an owner, you are tilting pride word. You are tilting the direction of pride. The moment you tilt from ownership to stewardship, you are tilting in the direction of humility. You are tilting in the direction of meekness and loneliness. That is what is, it is so important for you to pay attention to it. The moment you begin to ascribe ownership, that is, it is my life, it is my brain, it is my job, it is my money, it is my wife, it is my husband, it is my child. The moment you begin to ascribe ownership to anything that you possess, it is a sign that your heart is already becoming calibrated in the direction of pride. And in the same vein, the moment you begin to see yourself as a steward, that even though I own this house, it is really not mine. The Lord has blessed me with the possession of this thing, and I'm going to use it only for his glory. The Lord has blessed me with the possession of this woman, and I'm going to use it only for, my, for, for his glory. The Lord has blessed me only with this child, and I'm going to only parent this child for his glory. This car, this job, this house, this relationship, this, this resources that I control, the Lord has blessed me with the possession and the command and the resource and the management of these things. And I will use it only for his glory. The moment you change and tilt your perspective from ownership to stewardship, it changes everything radically. Then you begin to seek permissions for the things you never would even think of seeking permissions for. Then you begin to ask God, how should I use this money? Who should I give? Who should I bless? How should I use my words? Where should I go now? No, it's not, is it not my life? No, you don't say such things anymore. In this kingdom, the moment you enter to the spirit of stewardship, you understand that even your body, your very breath, every single thing you own is bought already, is bought over. And so whatever it is that God has given you, he owns both you and the thing he has blessed you with. And so it is that understanding that keeps you humble. But the moment you begin to ascribe ownership to things you ought to stay steward over, then understand that pride is really creeping in. Because God blessed Lucifer with that body. He blessed him with all of those capacities to play the instrument with his body. God blessed him with it. And he possessed it. The young steward, he possessed it as the owner. He said, I'm not the owner. I mean, I'm the best here. Why shouldn't I share in God's glory? Why am I not Lucifer? Am I not the son of the morning? Am I not the one that the anointed cherub that covereth? Am I not the one? And he began to ascribe ownership where he ought to stay steward. Be careful. Be very careful. Be very careful. All right? All right, be very careful. Hallelujah. So I will use the life of Nebuchadnezzar as a template. I'll need about 10 more minutes or 15 more minutes. As a template to show you the toxic symptoms of pride and their antidotes. So that you can watch out for them in your life as well. Because this teaching is not complete until I do this extra. You need to pay attention to this. Number one, forgetfulness. There is nobody that gets into pride who did not become forgetful at some point. The devil will just remove some things from your hard drive. He will just remove some memories of, new, of, of small beginnings. He will just remove from your hard drive. And then you begin to assume invincibility. Anyone who became proud forgot something about their journey in God because God insists on small beginnings. Oh, dear God. God always insists, no matter how big you are, if you are in a child of Queen Elizabeth, and God wants to use you at the highest level, he will first take you to the wilderness where nobody knows you as the son of Queen anybody. 
then you will have that small beginning. That it is a signature of anybody that God will raise. It is a signature. If God will use you to the highest level, even if you started privilege, it will make you underprivileged. He will make you underprivileged. I promise you. It is a guarantee in God. He will ensure that He insists that you experience a small beginning so that it can be archived into your history that you once did not have. Hey! If you can just remember these things, I tell you the truth, it will be difficult to stray into pride. It will be difficult. You see, anybody that gets into pride forgets at some point. They forget that they had small beginnings. God always gives everyone a history of small beginnings to serve as the anchor for their humility. If you can just always remember the seasons that you did not have, if you can just always remember the seasons that it was not this good, if you can just always remember the seasons that you didn't have this much to boast, if you can just remember, path, you will stay close to the anchor of your humility. Rather than straying into the terrains of pride. Look at what God told Saul. Look at what God told Saul in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17. This is when you were small in your own eyes. Hi! When the Lord begins to share parables and narratives with you, and he's more reminding you where he picked you from, just know that's the end. Because God, through Samuel, was beginning to tell Saul a parable. When you were small, you couldn't even stand up to the king. We literally had to be bringing you forth from the sheaves. You hid, you buried yourself among the sheaves because you couldn't even stand up. Even though you were head and shoulders taller than everybody, you were least most the people of, of Benjamin. And we had to literally raise your head up to receive the crown. That was how small you were in your own eyes. Hmm. But now he had become lofty. If you can just remember how God met you, where God met you, you won't be proud. You won't be proud. The history of small beginnings is to keep you humble. Never forget how God helped you. Sometimes, you know, my wife and I practice this from time to time. We just, we just start talking about how we started. <laughs> we are still a long way from where we want to be, okay? <laughs> but sometimes when you say things like that, we'll be like, oh, this guy's fine. <laughs> See, I still need God to help me. <laughs> okay? So sometimes when you say things like that, we'll just say, oh, this guy's down. Hey, please do. My forest is still in front. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I think that's a good, it's a good line. Eh? My forest is still in front. Though. May I not begin to ascribe forest stature to my wilderness space? Okay. So my forest is still in front. Now, uh, sometimes we just gather and we just talk about when we, we got married and we both were quote unquote jobless, no job, nothing. I won't advise anybody to do that. It's not because we're instructed. It's difficult for anybody to agree to do that. And God helped us for almost a year plus. We're surviving on 30 or 50K. A family, how? Without borrowing, how? And those seasons just help us stay humble. So the day you have two billion, just remember that there was a day you had nothing. And this God was still with you. Ah. It just keeps you humble. You see, it produces two things in your life. It produces humility and faith. That if God did it, ah, if God has brought me this far, then it can take me even farther. And at the same time, it produces humility that God, thank you. Everything I own is a gift. There was a season I didn't have nothing. And so for someone who ascribes gifts to everything he possesses, then he understands that he did not contribute to that credit. He didn't contribute to that gift. He didn't contribute to that possession. It was a free gift of God. And then you stay humble. You stay humble. It's important. It's so important. Number two. So number one, 
forgetfulness. It's one of the toxic symptoms of pride. And the antidote is to remember every now and again. Remember, I remember what you've done for me. Perfect sacrifice and victory. I remember. You keep remembering. You keep remembering. You can't strain to pride and apostasy without forgetting. You can't. The devil will first omit it. He will delete it. He will just take it out of your hard drive. And the only memories you have will be the memories of your victories and your and your glories and all your majesties and all the results and all the excellent glories. That's all you will remember. That's all you will remember. If Solomon only remembered how his birth was, if he remembered that he would never have been the son of David, if that first one had survived, if he remembered that hey, I shouldn't even be here to start with, if this first guy will survive, if my father never even strayed into another man's house, my, I won't even be here to even start with. And even at that, the first child, if he had survived, I won't be here still. I would have been the Adonijah that has been killed now because he killed Adonijah. He killed Adonijah that was striving for the throne with him. He would have been the Adonijah. The other one would have been the Solomon. Yet he forgot. He didn't ask questions about his history. How? Where did I come from? How did I even start all of this? Why would you allow 700 wives pull you in 700 separate directions? Because you have forgotten where you started from. It's important that we don't forget. Every single time, remember. I remember how I did it. How, how in secondary school, I, I was the lowliest of men. I couldn't look at anyone in the face. See what God has done today. Why would I ever even start thinking of myself more highly than I ought? If I start to think like that, it's because I forgot. It's because I forgot. It's because I forgot. Let's quickly read Psalms 44, verse 8. It's a very humbling scripture. Very, very humbling scripture. All right? We all need to be trained in the school of humility. Because not many teachings happen in that direction these days. Bible says, for they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their arms save them. But at hand! Thy right hand, thy arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast favor unto us. It's all credit to God. All credit to God. That land, you didn't get it because you were so good. That job, you didn't get it because you were so smart. That wife, you didn't get it because you were so handsome. That money, you didn't get it because you were just so lucky. No, God's favor just signed upon you. That's why. Everything you own is God's first. You are just a beneficiary of his benevolence. You're just a beneficiary of his benevolence. Stop taking credit for what God ought to take credit for. Remember, don't be forgetful. Remember, remember. Number two, your reference to easy and consistently good results without crediting grace. This is slightly different from forgetting because when you forget, you forget a whole chunk of narrative in your history. But you see, when you are always referencing easy and consistently good results without crediting grace it's a sign that pride very straight into your heart if every streak of performance is interjected with failure and one had to suffer every once in a while no one would teach you to take it but because you will you know you are always performing at a high level whether or not you practice you are performing whether or not you rehearse you are performing whether or not you study you are spitting work whether or not you pray you are prophesying whether or not you fast Supernatural is breaking out. Be careful. Because you begin to reference your easy and consistently good results to your own goodness without crediting the grace of God. And that's the thing about the gifts of God. It is without revocation. It is without repentance. The gifts and the promises of God are without repentance. And so 
it gives you that gift, it will come back and collect it from you. So there will be seasons in your life that even though you have not fellowshiped enough, the gift will be on auto run, auto cruise. It will just be performing for you. And you will be very much tempted to be under that illusion that, you see, this thing will continue to work in perpetuity. Be careful. Your eyes are about to be plucked out. Be careful, because that was exactly the story of, of Samson. When you have things come easy for you, which is a function of the gifting of grace, such that without fellowship, you give prophecy. Without studying, you're, you're spitting bars. Without praying, you're performing. Almost like you're invincible. You do well in your private fellowship or not, you still do well in your public ministry. Then you begin to see it as though your invisibility, all right? Or you begin to see it as though you are invincible, and then the devil can take full advantage of your life because that is exactly what attracts him. You've got to be very careful. You've got to be very careful. Something always. Sorry, sorry. Always credit even the things that come easy to you consistently to the power of God's grace. The head must remain bowed. That was a message I put several years ago. <laughs> Probably need to go look for that message again. The head remains. It was one of the most powerful messages I ever taught back on campus. The head remains bowed. That head must remain bowed. It's a principle of grace. The head, the oil must meet your head bowed. Imagine I want to anoint a man, and then the man is taller than me. His head is not bowed. He's not falling on his knees. I, there is no, there is no trajectory. There is no, there is no gradient. His head is just high up there. I have to look for something. No, that head. Must remember the oil must hit your head bowed. Doesn't matter how tall you are, that that oil must meet your head bowed. Head remains bowed. And so always credit even the easy and consistently good performances to the grace of God. Sometimes talk so well, every presentation they want you to do the presentation because you're just so good at this thing. You don't even need to think about it. You are just spitting. You are just doing stuff. People are looking at you like, wow, this guy is just gifted. You never ever enter field with the score. Like, guy, how did they do it? A person they have, person they practice, never ever reach half of your level. For you, just show up. And you see, this thing has destroyed football careers. Somehow the other football just that because these things, because you just believe that see you are talented. There's, there's no need for practice. There's no need to stay humble. There's no need to have a level-headedness. No, no reason. Just just enter perform. And a lot of us trade away from their blessings and from their from their legacy that way. It's important that you pay attention to this. The head must be bowed. Even for things that you find so easy to do, understand that it's still God's grace. Understand. You just understand some things. You just look at the past. These things come easy. They come natural. Still credited to grace. Never reference easy and consistently good results without crediting grace. Never. Never do it. Never do it. That's number two. Number three, lack of accountability. These are toxic symptoms of pride. Lack of accountability structures. Everyone who ever strayed into destruction on the basis of pride lost every voice of reason around them or reduced all of them to subordinates and fans. Ah, this one is very, very huge. Because our generation suffers a lot from this. A lot of people are not accountable. They may come to church. I know you come to church. Some of you even call me your pastor, but you know you're not accountable to me. You know you're not accountable to your PCU pastors. You know you're not accountable. But you come to church, you just, you, 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 <laughs> you bless us with presence every Sunday. <laughs> you, you know, you, you just humor us coming around. The devil is a liar. You had better be accountable. You had better be accountable. Okay, be accountable. 
Remember when Pastor Peace was talking about this last week at our video? We talking about how one of the signs of loss in our generation is that you resist government. Government there is not talking about President Buhari or any president or governor or, or, or political office holder. No, it's talking about anything authority existed. Anything that makes you say, come, and you just come without asking questions, you resist it. And you say, well, am I not, don't I have my right? You see, no generation has ever fought, protested like our generation because we are all about rights and nothing about responsibilities. All about rights, all about privileges, nothing about responsibilities, all about life and rights. And that's what produces soft life. <laughs> because the, the, the things that you want to enjoy, responsibilities burst them. The things you want to enjoy without any charge, responsibility burst those things. Yet, you want to disconnect from the responsibility component of your life and embrace full throttle all the privileges and rights that come with the responsibilities of the fathers. That's not right. That's not fair. Only the fathers can also come back from the grave and begin to protest as well. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? And then you just come here and sit on top of all the harvest and begin to ask for and demand with a spirit of entitlement for all the things that you deserve without ever having stretched your hand to work for them. It's a demonic atmosphere the devil is literally blanketing our generation with. People are resistant of governments. They are resistant of pastors. They are resistant of leadership. Resist anything that governs. They say, no, we want to be free. Not understanding that it is within the confines of submission that true freedom can be broken. They yeah, want to be free. I want to do whatever I like. This is the announcement of destruction. I just said that. <sighs> so listen, let me, let me show you what it means to be accountable. Okay, This is a team to understand this. To be accountable is to give unsolicited reports. Ah, this is important, guys. If I'm the one asking you, you no accountability anymore. It's reports. You're just reporting. Because I asked. Accountability is giving unsolicited reports about your affairs to a person whom you have given permission in advance to override your preferences. I'll say it again. If I have to say it five times, I'll say it again. Listen to this. To be accountable is to give unsolicited reports about your affairs to a person whom you have given permission in advance to override your preferences. I'll say the third time. To be accountable is to give unsolicited reports about your affairs to a person whom you have given permission in advance to override your preferences. That is, this person is not a deity. It's not a divine human persona. This is a person, a human being. You're giving him the right, permission to, in advance, to override your preferences. That is, you can come to him and say, I want to do this. And he says, no, don't do it. And you say, okay, sir, no problem. I will not do this. And that's the end of the conversation. And that, that conversation did not go beyond that. That is the meaning of accountability. That is the meaning. Because God will save you through so, such structures, far more than any other structure in your life, I can guarantee you. I have seen several situations where people lack accountability structures, and just because of that, their lives literally go, gone down the drain. Just because there was no savior to arise for them. No savior. Nobody that they've been accountable to. The first hell I experienced on earth was my first relationship. And the first signal that it was hell from the start was the fact that no, I was not accountable to anybody. So I'm using myself as an example to you to, to today. I was not accountable to anybody. It was the first hell that God sh showed me. This. When, when I'm preaching Jonah, it's, it's not just teaching revelation. There's, there's something. Hey, Jonah said, I experienced it. Hey, the belly of the fish. Only that I came out repentant. 
Lord, Kamari, never again. Affliction cannot rise the second, third, never again. It will never rise again. I will put my head under governments. I will put my head under governments. Moses would have died a useless death in the wilderness if Jethro had not saved him. If he had not made Jethro somebody capable of restricting him from his own foot, he would have died there. Counseling millions of people. Where would they even get to? Where, where would they get Canaan? When? When? How? When Moses is supposed to be receiving instructions about the next steps, he's so bogged down with mundane operational dynamics. Oh, yeah, what happened? He stole my meat. How would you even steal meat? What's wrong with you? Oh, yeah, come here, kneel down there, raise up your hand. What's that? Don't do it again, okay? Uh -huh, you, what happened? Ah, uh, my wife, she come, she came, she didn't cook well. Uh, what nonsense is that? Three million Jews. When, when does he want to finish? Tell me. But Jethro just came, provided counsel, gave him the right to refuse it, but Moses had already given Jethro in advance the right to override his own preferences. So he said, don't worry, uh, don't worry. God has already spoken to you. I will put myself under subjection. And that was how Moses' life was spared. So many people are refusing salvation by refusing accountability. The Lord will give you understanding. No matter how high you climb, you must always have a human vessel you have voluntarily chosen to submit to. Not God, not the deity, but a human vessel. Nebuchadnezzar had no one in his entire realm that could stand up for him. David had no one to tell him that he should be going to the battlefield. Nobody could tell David that he should be. Everybody was saying, yes, sir, no problem. We're on the battlefield already. How should we go? How far can we go? Job was even willing to kill a man on the battlefield when his own boss was sleeping in the How? There was nobody in the entire realm with David that could call him to order. God had to literally bring a prophet, Nathan. <sighs> Thank God that he still had that much respect for the prophetic. But there was nobody within his primitive environment that could tell him, oh God, <laughs> you know, we'll go back to it. You know, it may not come up for body. You understand? So I can tell That's it. Let this fight not leave your with us now. You are not supposed to be sleeping now, sir. <laughs> Yes, we are your boys. We can do this thing. We will protect the battlefield, but please come with us. Your presence is worth something. And John will just tell him, and I will think again, say, ah, that's true. That's true. That's true. It was later that somebody grew in that statue, and even though Joab had his own excesses, but Joab was the one that, after they had killed Absalom, Joab came and everybody was excited that the enemies of the king had been killed, but David himself was angry and was upset. Not angry, was 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 grieving. He was sorrowful because Absalom, his son, had died and so Joab told him and said oh god what's wrong with you what was all this nonsense people risked their lives to save you from the battle of the enemy the enemy that was hell-bent on killing and taking over the king the kingdom from you now the enemy is dead and all the people that conspired against you and the people who risked their lives are here outside and you are busy mourning even instead of you to come out and rejoice with them but because your son died the enemy died and this guy spoke sense into David. And David came, the Bible says, he spoke to Israel like a man who speaks, like he bent the heart of Israel, like he would bend the heart of one man. That was one thing that really demonstrated the oratory prowess of King David. And everybody was you know, aligned. But listen to Joab. But when, and this was way after I killed Uriah, because all the calamity had broken forth in his house because of this sin of killing Uriah. So everything just began to go a downward spiral. Because he had a season in his life that nobody could speak to him. Nobody around him called him back to order. Accountability structures will save you. Yes, you have the Holy Ghost in you, but you need a human vessel that can talk sense into your head. Sometimes it is coconut. You need a human being that can tell you, stop that. You will not do that. Come to my house now. 
Stop it. Don't do that. And then you will listen. Yes, you are old. Yes, you're a man. Yes, you can think for yourself, but you still need an accountability structure. Yes, you are anointed. Yes, you have the gospel. Yes, you have the fivefold ministry gift inside one, but you still need a human person. I can't begin to tell you all the testimonies of how God has helped me, saved me, blessed me, prospered me by just being submitted. I can't begin to tell you today. It is for your good. It is for your good. Samson had relegated his parents to fans. May you never relegate the people in whose mouth lie the protocol for your destiny to fans. Because these were the guys that God visited and gave them the blueprint of the life and ministry of Samson. They told him all the things he must eat, the things he must not eat, the protocol for his life and destiny. They gave it to his parents. Then he came into this world. They were both his parents and his mentors spiritually, but he defied them and reduced them to fans. So you are privileged to, to have me as your son. Wow. I'm the one that built, I'm the one that made your life count. I'm Samson, the strongest man in Israel. You are just privileged parents of this strong man. Get this wife for me. She pleased me well. These were the things. These were the issues. He reduced all his parents and his mentors to fans. May your mentors not become your fans. These were the people with the template for his destiny. Yet he defied them at will. They just couldn't talk to him. Be careful. Lack of accountability. Lack of, of accountability structures. Extremely important. Before, as we begin round off, assumption of your stature and positional hierarchy. Before pride destroys, it serenades. More like marinades. <laughs> you know when you soak something in foil? <laughs> you soak it in foil so you can just light it with match. That's exactly what this type of thing does to you. It serenades you, you heal, you heal, you, but in the realm of the spirit, what it's doing is that it's marinating you with, with, with foil, petrol, solid foil. It's soaking your body with it so that once it just strikes the match, you're gone. First, it was fragrance. You understand? You just become fire. And this is not the sacrifice of praise. This is not living sacrifice. This one is suya for the dead. Right? Because you began to assume a stature and positional hierarchy in the realm of the spirit that you really did not occupy. It will begin to tell you that you are the best. You are the. <laughs> you begin to feel like you are the only one at your level of performance. You begin to hear stats that put your head and shoulders above everyone else. And you know stats can be selective. Stats can be selective. Stats are extremely selective. Let God be your stats. Everybody can be healing you. If God has not noted, or God, you are better start crying and asking God, God, help my life. Stats are very selective. Stats are very subjective. You need to look for the right stats. Elijah even heard the right one from Obadiah. He still chose not to believe. Because this pride can mess up your mind. It can mess up your sound mind. Elijah truly started believing that it was the only true prophet in Israel. The sign of pride. You begin to assume a start and a positional hierarchy that you really do not occupy. You are the only one that preaches the gospel. You are the only one that teaches sound doctrine in the whole of Lagos. You never talk talking. The, just mainland alone. God has thousands of people teaching sound doctrine. But you begin to sound sound. Ah, I'm the only one. <laughs> Nobody teaches me like me. <laughs> Nobody. And you begin to say things like that. It's a sign that the devil is already pouring for you. All right? Number five. Close to the fourth one, self-adulation. Proud people always get to a point where they stop waiting on others to praise them. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2. They take it upon themselves to tell us how awesome they are, and they do it without realizing how obnoxious they are beginning to sound. All right? Proverbs 27, verse 2. It says, let another lips praise you, not your own lips. Let it be another person that praises you 
And if you are the one so, so you are so obsessed with other people praising you, it is tantamount to you also praising yourself. You are doing everything so that what, uh, what do you, uh, so what do you think? Uh, so uh, what do I? It's there a lot on social media. The likes, the way we want to hear people tell us how hot we are. We post a certain picture. We snap it in a certain angle. We wear a certain clothes. We do a certain makeup. And then we put it on social media so that everybody can serenade you and tell you how hot. Hey, Mark Power now. Abba now. Yes, you are babe, hot. And you, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and you want to hear those things so that your heart will start feeling like, you know what? Me self, I be. Me self, I hot. Me self, I fine. That's the Luciferian spirit. Uh, the the most uh, see the thing the devil hates the most is the glorification of another apart from him. He, he can't survive it. This is why whenever you begin to worship the name of the Lord, the devil can't survive. It. I'm telling you, you can't worship a miss. You can't. Just begin to lift up the name of the Lord. The devil will disappear. He can't survive an environment where he is not number one. He can't. Because he's so full of pride and self-importance. He believes that relative to God and man, he is number one. And so he can't, he can't just, he can't just enjoy being in another man's glory, in another man's light. He can't. He has to be number one all the time. It's a sign of pride. Self-affirmation. You just like to hear it. Let somebody just say it. Sometimes this is what propels posting some type of pictures. I already said that. Just want to get some sweet nothings over and over and over and over and over again. Ah, see, this is your dream just makes sense. You are just so hot. You're just so fine. We have to be careful so we don't begin to desire and be driven by what drives the world. We must live primarily for the Father's well done. Like I said, there are a few others, like eight other signs of pride by a bit more home. You know, these ones are not as heavy as what I just shared with you. Uh, but I won't be able to get into that because of time. But right now, can we just bow our hearts right now? As I was teaching, I'm sure you were able to recognize some things that were already growing in your heart at, at the level of need. And there's, there's one that I'm sure that we all need to really, really be repentant of. It is that lack of accountability structures around our lives. This one, a lot of us need to repent of it. A lot of us need to repent of it. And that's why I dwelt a little bit there. And let's just, let's just ask God for mercy. Let's just ask God for his blood to cleanse us. That even as his word has come for us tonight, ask that that word cleanses you. Let it wash you. Let it wash you clean. And with that washing, let it give you strategies to stay afloat. So, and let him tell you who to be accountable to. And if you don't have a mentor or a mentor, like, you can be accountable to your pastor. That is your mentor. That is your mentor. Be accountable to your pastor. Be accountable to your PC pastor. He will show you strategies. Go and talk to this person. Go and be accountable to that person. Right? This thing that you're always looking for every time you post, stop looking for it. Let your reason for posting just be to bless people genuinely. Not always checking on social media. What have they said? What have, have they liked it? Have they seen it? Have they, have they hailed it? Have they, come on. What if you are saying things that people don't like so that it can bless their heart and convince them of truth? Will you be willing to say those type of things? May not get you as much likes, but will you be willing to obey God and honor men just so that you can get the, the truth across to men? These are the things to repent of. They are called secret faults. That's what David calls them in Psalm 19. He says, Listen, help me with the presumptuous things. Help me with secret faults, faults that no other person will see apart from you and me, Lord. Help me, help me with these secret faults. Just repent of these faults, repent of these things. All right.
because the Bible talks about how we need to perfect holiness in, uh, in the fear of the Lord. But we're talking about the filthiness of the flesh and the filthiness of the spirit. And it's important that without dealing with the filthiness of the spirit, there's no way you can perfect holiness in the, in the fear of the Lord. There's no way. Just saying, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't humanize, I don't, I don't fornicate. It's not enough. That's filthiness of the flesh. There's filthiness of the spirit. And those ones are even far more dangerous than the filthiness of the flesh. They will help us tonight and every other day for the rest of our lives in the name of Jesus. Thank you for having me. God bless your hearts. Um, thank you. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.